You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're closing down the book of James today. It's our last week, I think it's week number 11 in the book of James, and I'm kind of sad about that because I have absolutely loved this series. It's been very timely for me individually, and I think it's been timely for our church corporately as we went verse by verse through this passage of, or this book of the Bible. Today we're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to look at the last passage, which is verses 13 through 20. And today, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to interpret. Uh, By the way, that's why we've decided 90 to 95% of the time at this church that we are going to preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible because it forces us to deal with passages just like this. Uh, When I was thinking about the subject uh, that's the overarching theme for this passage this week, I got kind of an ADD brain, and I loosely connected it to an Instagram page that I've been following for a couple of months. I'm not on Facebook, but I am on Instagram, and I've been following this uh, Instagram page called 80s and 90s Memories, okay? Does anybody in here remember the 80s and the 90s? Raise your hand. Okay, that's my people. Okay, we're, as I say, we're the more seasoned people up in here, right? We're not old. We're just the seasoned people. I want to show you some of the things that were on this Instagram page and see if you Remember them. Go ahead and put the first one up there, please. Guys, does anybody remember when McDonald's had ashtrays and you could take them home? Remember your granny stuffed her purse with them to take them home so she'd have ashtrays? No joke. This week, that's how old I am. This week, uh, Pastor Brandon brought a new, bought a new uh, foosball table and there was a cup holder that flipped down and it was, it was that color. It was silver. And I said, man, does that have an ashtray on it? And he's like, no, it's a cup holder. I'm like, man, that shows how old I am because these kids don't know nothing about no smoking. Amen, y'all? Like, man, we're, we're all going to get sick because of that. So go to the next one. Go to the next one, please. Anybody remember when you'd twist the tops off of Mountain Dew bottles and Pepsi bottles and you'd win a free drink, a free Coke or something like that? They don't know nothing about that. Now, I miss those days. I miss those days. Go to the next one, guys, please. Anybody remember these? Anybody wear these? Anybody wear them? So they've gotten skinnier and skinnier, but back then, y'all don't know. Our, we could jump off a roof and parachute down because of our jeans. Amen, y'all? Jinko jeans, I think is what they were called. Hit the next one, guys. Old school. Who still got it? Everybody still got it. They'd last a nuclear holocaust, wouldn't they? There'd still be... Those dishes there, man. Everybody had them. Everybody's grandma had these dishes to go in that same vein. Do y'all remember this Tupperware? This was on that page too. Go to that. Anybody remember this Tupperware? Everybody I knew had these salt and pepper shakers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Bottom right hand, that pitcher with the little button you push. Remember it would get stuck and you'd pull it off suddenly and the Kool-Aid would go everywhere. Is anybody with me? I've got some old school people in here. This is old school. Hit the next one there. Hit the next one. Anybody know who that is? Okay. Raise your hand if you don't know who that is. If you don't know who that is. There's some folks in here that are like, who is that? That's the guy who made the best donuts ever. Amen, y'all. Like, best donuts ever. The Dunkin' Donuts guy. This old school. Hit the next one. Hit the next one. Anybody remember this? What show is that from? Three's Company. We grew up on that, right? Hit the next one. Hit the next one. 
This is a receipt from 1999 for Taco Bell. Remember the 49 cent, 69 cent, 99 cent menu? Poor folks like me, we went 49 cent all the way. Y'all rich people bought that 99 cent stuff. $3.50 for a whole meal at Taco Bell. It's crazy. Hey, man, you can see I tagged my wife underneath it. Josh text Cardwell at Cardwell Brook. So hit the next one, please. You remember this guy? Anybody remember this guy? Now, it's church. Y'all chill. Okay, y'all? Okay, anybody remember this guy? Say amen. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey, dazed and confused. Remember, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Y'all got to repent, okay? I don't know why you're watching that movie. L-I-V-I-N, living. All right, all right, all right. Everybody say that with me. One, two, three. All right, all right, all right. That's old school right there. Well, to loosely tie this together, uh, the subject that we're going to really cover today and the overarching theme of this passage, I think the majority of us in our culture today, because we live in such a fast-paced culture where we want results now, is kind of thought of as an old-school subject, an old-school theme, old-school thought process. This is what old people do. This is what churches used to do. But we don't really focus on this anymore. It's not talked about much. It's not given much credence in the church. And that is prayer. Prayer. If you look at chapter 5, you can break it down by the passages we've broken it down into. In verses 1 through 6, it talks about real faith producing real generosity. In verses 7 through 12, it talks about real faith producing spiritual fruit in our lives, real patience. Well, today, James is really going to talk about how real faith produces real prayers in our lives. Let's go to James 5. Let's read verses 13 through 20, and uh, we'll stop along the way. Last service, I had to leave the last two verses off on the end because the Holy Spirit did something really cool, and I didn't feel like I was supposed to go on. So let's see if that happens this service. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Verse 13, he starts out like this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Verse 16 is one of the foundational scriptures uh, for our church, and you're going to learn why uh, today. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James who wrote this book, had a nickname. They used to call him Camel Knees. It's literally what they called him. And the reason was is because his knees were so calloused because he spent so much time in prayer. This series has been incredible. But notice, it's as if James is ending the entirety of the book of James with an exclamation point and saying... Everything we've talked about happens because of prayer. Everything that I've instructed you on is going to take place because of your prayers. 
And he's really going to answer the question today, when do we pray? And even give us some instruction on some processes that we're supposed to go through in specific circumstances. He tells us four times we should pray. First, he says, uh, when you're in trouble, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where you need help, you don't call your mom, you don't check your bank account to make sure you can cover it. The very first thing you're called to do when you're in trouble is to pray. The next thing he says, number two, is on the other end of the spectrum. We told you last week that the Bible is very binary. There's not a spectrum except when it comes to this. So when you're in trouble, you're supposed to pray. But on the other end, when you're happy, you're supposed to pray too. If anyone among you is happy, let them sing songs of praise is what James says. And I know it doesn't say prayer there, but I believe James sees praise as another form of prayer. So when you're worshiping, it's what we call it. When you're singing praises to God, you essentially, what you need to do is make those your prayers of praise. I'm going to tell you all in here that if you're not doing that, if you're not making the worship time where we corporately come together and we sing songs about Jesus, incredible songs today, the song Gratitude is one of my favorite songs that's come out the last several years. If you're not doing that, you are missing out big time on something spiritually God has for you. How he can strengthen you through praising God. Too many times I've seen in the church that we put the sermon time as the most important time that there is. You guys have been in the same churches I've been in. And every church I've served at, with exception of Revolution Church that we started 10 years ago, there seems to be more of an emphasis on the sermon time than on the worship time. And what James is saying is, that shouldn't be. What James is saying is, really, let's just be real. In our particular context, we need to take a clue from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters who seem to give more credence and respect to the worship time than other denominations do. I worked in three non-charismatic churches before starting Revolution Church, and it seemed like people always missed the worship time. It seemed like... There was always a group of men. And what was interesting about this is these men were typically leadership in the church. They were deacons. They were elders. And they would stand outside during the worship and just come in for the sermon. Usually smoking. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? Smoking outside. And you know what's interesting about that? And this is every church I worked in except for Revolution. They were usually the ones that caused all the problems behind the scenes. Almost always. They didn't join in corporate worship. James says, participate in corporate worship. You know, when it comes to the, the subject of prayer, I dare say almost everyone in here has a great reverence for prayer and respect for prayer. And that could be seen because if somebody is praying in front of you, you'll probably take your hat off. You'll bow your head. You'll close your eyes. You'll participate in some manner, even if you don't think of yourself as a strong prayer warrior. Do you do the same thing for worship? Are you praising God? 
Are you singing with everything you got? Well, I'm not a good singer. Okay, you use the same excuse for prayer. I'm not a good prayer. What are you good at? Gee whiz, you know what I mean? Like, come on. More on that here in a minute. Worship. Singing songs of praise. On our staff here at the church, we've got about 20 part-time, unpaid, full-time staff uh, here at Revolution Church. And uh, in our employee handbook, and, and one of our... Uh, uh, policies that we have here is that every single person that's on staff at Rev Church doesn't just come in to hear the sermon because it's not just about y'all hearing me preach and me getting a crowd. No, we say you have to come in and fully participate in every part of the service. We tell our staff we want y'all on the front row leading the way and worshiping Jesus, hands raised. You know, the Bible says, raise your hands. And, and I know for some of you guys, you think that's hyper-spirituality. And for some people it is. But literally in the book of Timothy, it tells men to raise their hands when they're praising God. And it says specifically, without contention. In other words, you don't give it too much thought. You're surrendering. Okay? The idea behind it is, when the cops break in, what's the first thing they tell you to do? Get your hands up. That's what you're doing. You're surrendering to Jesus during worship. So for most of us, it's not a hyper-spiritual thing. It's not like, ooh, I want to be seen by everybody. It's literally us praising God, saying, I surrender everything to you. I got open hands. No gun in my hand. I'm not going to shoot you. I surrender to you. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Worship. Praise God. Praise God. The third thing he says, he says, when you're sick, you should pray. And he gives us some, some insight on the process we need to go through and I'm going to be honest with you today, we're going to spend the majority of our time on this part. Because this one and the next one loosely tie together, uh, sick and needing healing. And we're going to spend the majority of our time on this because the majority of the passage is spent on this. And this could be the most confusing part. He uses the word sick here. He says, if anyone among you is sick, the word sick means weak or feeble. And some believe that this can refer to figuratively those who are weak in faith or have a weak conscience. That if you're weak mentally or emotionally, you should ask someone to pray for you. And, and when it says someone's sick, it means that because you're spiritually weak, you'll be made well when the elders pray for you and anoint you with oil and you'll be strengthened, so to speak. Now, that is a very important part of someone praying for you, you being strengthened spiritually, you being strengthened emotionally, uh, mentally, and all those things. That is very true. But in the context that James is speaking to today, he's talking about people that are physically sick. People that are physically sick and in need of healing physically. Now, side note, some pastors and leaders have used this passage of Scripture to talk about how James means you're supposed to have healing rallies. And uh, you guys have seen them on TVs, the Benny Hens of the world, right? And I'm not saying Benny Hens not a Christian. I'm just saying that's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about healing ministries. And it's not teaching that faith prayers will always lead to physical healing. If you've been around more than five minutes as a Christian, you know you've prayed, God healed me of this before physically. And sometimes he says no. In fact, the majority of the time he says no. And this is important because what makes our faith strong is not the intensity of the amount of faith that we have. It's the object of what our faith is in. The one whom our faith is placed. 
And if we forget who our faith is placed in, which is Jesus, we end up trusting in our faith and wondering whether we have enough of it rather than trusting in Christ. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. I hope I give some clarity and some freedom to some people this weekend. See, the prosperity gospel as we know it, or the health and wealth gospel, this idea that if you're a Christian, all you got to do is have enough faith and God will give you money. God will heal every sickness you've ever had. He'll make your relationships perfect. What I've seen in my experience in 16, 17 years of full-time ministry is it leads to two things with people. Number one, it leads people to lose faith in God. Because if God was real, the Bible says that I'm supposed to do this, and that's not what this passage is is saying. Why is he not healing me? Number two, it leads to a condemnation of self, self self-condemnation. Well, I must be the problem. I must not have enough faith. God didn't take care of me, so he must not love me, and I'm not good enough, self-condemnation. Neither of these is what James is saying. This is not about instantaneous healing. It's not about those types of things. He gives us a process here. He says, if you're sick physically, he says this, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So number one, he says this, tell your church, don't hide it. Don't think you're putting somebody out. You've got to let the church know. Notice that the initiative to receive ministry comes from the person who is suffering. In other words, how are people going to pray for you if you don't tell them what to pray for? Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. I say this because in the church in America, we've gotten so good at this fake Christianity. How you doing, brother? Everything's great. Six months later, you get a divorce. How you doing, brother? Everything's great. Three days later, you've tried to commit suicide. And we fake it. And nobody seems to be real. And there's no authenticity. And people say stuff like, well, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to bother anybody. I've been married 23 years yesterday. Yeah. And obviously, I love my wife and she loves me. But one of the things that we have had fellowship that the neighbors could hear over in the past is the fact that not often, but every once in a while, I'll get in her car to drive it or to go fill it up with gas or something. You know those lights that come on on the dash that tell you when something's wrong? One of those lights will be on. Maintenance required. Check engine. Low oil. There's been a couple times I've said, how long has this been on? I don't know. Maybe a couple weeks. I didn't think it was that important. Or any of the men with me say amen. You've got to let me know when the light's on. Otherwise, our car is going to be ruined. James is saying, you got to let us know when the maintenance light is on, when the check engine light is on. Otherwise, how are you going to be healed? How are we going to know how to pray for you? You have to take the initiative. You'll see this thread throughout this, this closeness of the church. It's not just coming on Sunday and sitting and listening to a sermon. 
You see this here. It's being a part of a church family is the idea here. See, in my generation, I think this started around the 80s or 90s. In my generation, we started this trend. And you guys that have ever been in a small group or been in a Sunday school class or anything like that, you've heard this before. Where, And, and I'm not saying this is all bad. I'm just saying this is what we do most of the time, right? Uh, whenever there's something you don't want people to know because you're embarrassed or you just, you just for whatever reason, you don't want them to know, they're taking prayer requests and you're going around the circle. When they get to you, when you don't want people to know, what do you say? Unspoken. I just got an unspoken prayer request. Unspoken. Now, there's some wisdom in that because you don't want to get all your drama out there. And I'm not saying you put all your drama out there. You know, get on Facebook and say, pray for this person that's hooked on drugs. That's gossip, okay, y'all? But I am saying... James is making clear there are no unspokens. When you're physically ill, you call the church and say, hey, I need, I need the elders of the church to pray. I need them to pray for me. Now, James is not saying that we pray for you every time you sneeze. He's not saying that when your dog sneezes, the pastor comes over to your house and prays for your dog. And he definitely ain't saying we're going to pray for your cat. Amen, y'all? Praying that cat dies. Get rid of it. It's going to hell anyway. <laughs> That's a joke, y'all. I'm just kidding. What he's saying is, number two, you've got to allow the body of Christ to minister to you. A couple of weeks ago, we prayed for someone. In the first few years of the church, I didn't do a good job at letting the church know that the leadership of the church was available to pray for them, the pastors and the elders of the church. And uh, we get pretty regular requests now, and if you ever uh, need healing, just contact the church, and we'll pray for you. We'll come to you. Usually, we meet people on Sunday mornings and pray for them. Well, one night, we prayed for someone that goes to the church that was having a tumor removed, and uh, after we got done, I leaned over to Walt Hitch, who's one of the elders of the church, and I said, man, Walt, that never gets old, does it, praying for people? He's like, no, it doesn't. You're not putting us out. You're not annoying us. This is what we're called to do, is pray for you, walk with you, hold your arms up. When you need prayer, you got to let us know, in other words. He says, have the elders anoint you with oil and pray for you. When he says anoint you with oil, that's kind of confusing, but really it means two things. And I want to make this very clear. This is very, very clear. Number one, when you anoint someone with oil, you're consecrating them for the Lord, as it's said. In other words, you're dedicating them to the Lord. Uh, for instance, when David was anointed with oil as the king, they poured oil over him. This was something that was common practice uh, with children and different things like that. So, so we're saying when we anoint you with oil, God, this is yours. We're completely trusting in you. You are who our hope is in. But secondly, Oil at this time in the Bible was used for medicinal purposes and hygienic purposes. Oil was something that was put on wounds to cleanse them. And it was put on things to soothe them. And so James is also saying this. Listen to me when I say this. There's no conflict between prayer and medicine. In other words, you need your spiritual health, but you also need to seek out help on the physical side as well. Some of you guys have been told by preachers that if you get treatment, you don't have enough faith. Just pray it out and God will heal you. But notice, notice, prayer does not exclude intelligent action. Prayer is not a substitute 
for your responsibility to seek out the wisdom of doctors and different things like that. One theologian says it this way, We err when we exclude prayer from our planning and action, but we also err when we exclude action from prayer. James is saying, don't pray to be healed without at the same time taking reasonable steps to get healthy. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. Okay, let me give you a real life example. About 20 years ago, I was a personal trainer at Exclusive Fitness in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I had a client that I met that I started training, and they had a slew of health problems, one of them being diabetes. And they asked me, because they were a believer, will you pray that I get healed? I was like, absolutely, I'll pray that you get healed. But you know what happened? They got healed. But you know why? Because for the next six months, I trained them three times a week, and they changed their diet and their lifestyle. And all of a sudden, their diabetes started to get better. Does this make sense? Everybody say amen. It's so easily applicational. He says, do everything you can. Martin Luther once said this, pray as if everything depends on God, but then work as if everything depends on you. He tells us what the result will be when we go through this. Listen to what he says. Let me reread it. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, this is not a good translation in the NIV version. They actually mix a couple of words up and make it sound different than what it actually means in the Greek. Because in this verse, it seems to be very clear that James is making a connection between sickness and sin. In other words, some of the people that James is writing to are struggling with sickness because they continue to struggle with sin. Let me reread this and give you a proper translation. It says this instead, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person, the actual Greek word is sozo. It's where we get the word saved from. It'll make the sick person saved, and if they have sinned, they will be healed. Doesn't that sound weird? Sounds backwards. The sick person is going to be saved, and the sinner will be healed. Weird. Sounds like they mixed the words up there, but they didn't. James is making a connection between the sin that is constantly in their life and the sickness that they struggle with. Now, I'm going to give you you big warnings here, but we have seen this precedent before in the New Testament where there are believers that have struggled with sin And as a result, they're struggling with some type of discipline, specifically physical illness from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we see that in the context of the Lord's Supper, people were taking the Lord's Supper in the wrong way, and some of them, as a result, were getting sick, and in fact, some of them were dying. Listen to what it says. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. In other words, they've died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Now, the caution in this, I'll give you, and I'll probably say this several times, is overwhelmingly the New Testament teaches 
overwhelmingly that the reason we struggle in our physical bodies and get illnesses and have problems is not because of sins we have committed. It's because we live in a fallen world and a sinful world. So I don't want anybody running out here thinking every time you get a cold, it's because you did something wrong. Or you got a cancer diagnosis and you're feeling guilty because there's got to be some kind of sin. In fact, the New Testament teaches over and over again that you need to be very careful with dead religion. Dead religion is the exact same thing with karma. Karma is they're going to get what they deserve because they messed up in some way. That's dead religion. What I mean by that is you need to be very careful looking at someone, and this is what the New Testament teaches clearly, and saying, well, I wonder if they're going through what they're going through because they did something wrong in their life. This is what judgmental Christians do. In fact, in John chapter 9, something happens. Sick guy. The disciples go to Jesus and they say, is he sick because he sinned or his parents sinned? Because dead religion back then is no different than dead religion now. Anytime something bad happened to somebody, they always said, well, it must be their fault. They must have done something wrong. And Jesus is quoted in John 9 as saying, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So we experience sickness most of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time, because we live in a sinful world, not necessarily because we have been sinful. But there are times, and I'm going to make this very clear here in just a moment, where there is a connection between sinful behavior and sickness. James even uses Elijah as an example here. And in the context of what he's talking about that happened with Elijah, he prayed that the rain would stop. And why did it stop? It was God's discipline on his people. And then he prayed and the rain came back. So there are those moments, like with Elijah, where God's people sin individually or corporately, and God sends discipline, and sometimes that can be in the form of sickness. The overarching lesson that he's giving when it comes to sickness is when we're sick, it should provoke repentance in us. When you are physically ill, you should self-examine yourself spiritually and try to make sure there is nothing between you and God. Remember, all throughout the book of James, James is talking about double-minded people. The theme of the entirety of the book of James is real faith produces genuine works. And so what James is saying is the physical sickness that you're experiencing may, may be spiritual discipline from God. Not must be, but it might be spiritual discipline from God. And really what he's saying is, if your sickness is a result of your own sin, then God's restoration can be physical and spiritual when the elders pray for you. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. Let me give you some real life examples of what I mean when you sin and it results in sickness. Okay? Just talked about my friend from Knoxville that had diabetes. We know that gluttony is clearly spoken about in Scripture. In fact, in Corinthians, it says that it's better to have a knife to your throat than your stomach to be your God. So if you abuse your body through gluttony for 30, 40, 50 years, and then you come down with a metabolic disease, what's that a result of? The sin of gluttony. 
if someone, and I'm not judging you for eating too much, I'm not judging you for smoking, okay? I got my own stuff to deal with right here. Y'all know what I'm saying? Okay, I got my own junk to deal with. But if someone has an addiction for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they smoke cigarettes over and over and over, I'm not saying smoking is going to send you to hell, okay, y'all? It'll make you smell like you've been there, but it ain't going to send you to hell, okay, y'all? Everybody back with me, okay? I'm not saying that. But if you have an addiction that you haven't given to God, and it has a hold of you, 30, 40, 50 years of smoking, and you get lung cancer, what's the lung cancer result of? Sinful behavior. If you're a workaholic, and clearly in Scripture, it says take a Sabbath, take a Sabbath. But you've worked and never taken a day off for 30, 40, 50 years, and all of a sudden your body starts to break down on you, What's that a result of? Not following the commands of God? Sinful behavior. Does this make sense to everybody? How easily applicational this is? Does this make sense? Everybody say amen. So this is what James is saying. So let me just tell you this. Don't ever blame God. First, ask yourself, what's my part in this? You know, imagine the person, and I'm not hating on anybody that smokes. Please understand. But if they smoke for 50 years, And they come and they say, pray for me because the Bible says I can be healed. And the elders pray for them and they're not healed and they're mad at God. Is that ludicrous? You've made these decisions for 50 years. STDs. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of examples we can use. I've got pictures for that. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, y'all, so. I want to make this clear that when it's about healing, in the context of healing, I want to make sure you understand this. Usually when you ask God something, there's three potential answers. There's yes, there's no, and there's not right now. But in the context of physical healing, every believer needs to be encouraged by this this weekend. There's only two answers that God gives. God may say yes and give you a miracle and heal you physically. But he never says no to the believer. He just says, not right now most of the time. Because one day, you're going to a place where you're going to have a glorified body and you're going to be made perfect. Is everybody with me? Say amen. You know, I preached on Lazarus on Easter. And I got to thinking about Lazarus this week. We sang that song about Lazarus. I got to thinking, man, you think Lazarus was three days in after he died? He's in his mansion hanging out, loving life. And he gets a phone call, and they say, well, Jesus is at your grave. Get ready. We're about to send you back. You think Lazarus was like, man, no, I just got here. I do. I do. No more struggles, no more pain, no more sickness, no more tears of sorrow. We got that to look forward to. Amen, Rev Church. Next, he talks about, he talked about when you're sick, but next he talks about when you need healing. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other. Sounds like it takes more than just you and God. Sounds like it takes the church. Are y'all getting this? You cannot find healing without a church family. 
And it's more than just coming to church on a Sunday morning for an hour. Hey, if you want to be free, confess your sins to God. He'll forgive you. You'll go to heaven for eternity when you die. But if you want to be free indeed, which is a whole other level of freedom, the way you find healing is confessing your sins one to another. And you find community with other people that love Jesus and they love you. Repentance, healing, and forgiveness is a church family affair. There's two different viewpoints on this verse when it comes to confessing your sins one to another. Number one, some people believe that he's talking about forgiving and confessing sins of bitterness to other believers. In other words, you're making amends with those that you have wronged and forgiving those who have wronged you. And so one theologian said about this verse, when you're praying these prayers and and you're confessing sins to one another and praying for each other, you're asking God for a change of character, not a change of circumstances. In other words, what that means is when someone in the church does you wrong or you have bitterness towards someone in the church, you don't leave the church because they made you mad and go to the next church down the road and church hop. You work it out as a family. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Okay, you don't go to the next church. See, some of y'all, some of y'all switch churches more than you switch socks, man. Your underwear, you switch you, like you switch churches more than you switch your underwear. You know what I mean? And it's crazy. One thing goes wrong. One person says something you don't like, and you're on to the next church talking junk about your last church and the people that did you wrong and the pastor that didn't do this and they didn't do this and I didn't like this. No, no, no. James is saying no, no, no. You work it out first. You may go to another church, but first you try to go and work things out as Christian brothers and sisters. That's one view on this. The second view, y'all got your steel toe boots on. Everybody say amen. See, James is closing this out by making sure every toe is crushed. Amen, y'all. The second view is a broader view, which is you have got to connect with other believers if you're ever going to find true freedom and healing. You absolutely have to. At this church, we have four values. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to find freedom. We want them to discover their purpose and make a difference. If you do those four things, we feel like we're doing our job as a church. We want people to know Jesus. We want you to get saved. We want people to find freedom. We want people to be free indeed, in other words. And then we want you to figure out what your spiritual gift is so we can mobilize as a church together and go win the world for Christ. The step that we see most people skip over, and I believe in the church in America, this is the one they skip because everybody's fake and nobody wants to confess sins one to another, is finding freedom. We don't really confess. We don't let anybody know who the real us is. And as a result, we're always struggling with our past, We can't get past our yesterdays. We have baggage that weighs us down. Guilt, condemnation. Because we're afraid to tell anybody. James is saying, you have to tell somebody if you're going to find healing and you're going to find freedom. When your soul is plagued by bitterness, by guilt, it festers inside you and consumes you. And y'all know this. It eventually works its way out in the form of gluttony, chronic depression, stress you can't manage, out-of-control anger, physical illness, 
There's a connection. When you confess your sins and you have someone pray for you, the guilt and the shame and the hurt goes away. Most people are stuck in the past. They can't settle their yesterdays. And they don't find true freedom in this life because they've never taken the step of faith to really become a part of a church family and let people know who they really are. Does this make sense to everybody say amen? The Bible calls it out. It calls it out. We want to be protected. We come up with all kinds of excuses why we can't. Been hurt in the past. Somebody shared something about you that you shared in confidence, whatever it is. But this is how you find freedom. At this church, we've got several different ministries that we started over 10 years. And uh, let me just give you a list of them right here. And I'm going to tell you the overarching theme. Rev kids, rev students, rev young adults, rev connect, rev ladies, rev men, and rev groups. Okay? And really, the main goal of every single one of these ministries, there's other stuff that happens. Hey, fellowship's great, all that stuff, you know, uh, great sermons, great worship, great stuff like that. It's all great. But really, the overarching goal of every single one of these is pretty similar. Rev Kids, we got six flags over Jesus, right? Jackie does great stuff. She's got great crafts. She's got great curriculum. It's all wonderful. But you need to know this. In Rev Kids, every single one of those, I think with the exception of nursery, because that's like herding cats. Y'all know what I'm saying? Uh, They break up into small groups, and it's all because we want kids to confess and pray for each other. Rev students, the same thing. We got Six Flags Over Jesus. We bought a movie theater. They're having, they're having Rev students down there. They got pool tables, and they got basketball goals, and they've got arcade games, and they've got popcorn machines making popcorn and all that stuff. But Pastor Brandon will tell you the main goal in Revolution students is when they split up into small groups and they have an adult leader that's praying for them as they confess sin for each other. They'll all tell you that. Rev Young Adults is for college-age kids to confess and pray for each other. That's the goal. Rev Connect, it's the same thing. Groups for couples and singles to confess and pray. Rev Ladies, groups for women to confess and pray. Rev Men, guess what they do? They split up into groups for men to be able to confess and pray. Rev Groups for people to confess and pray. So that people can find freedom, baby. That's what we want. We want you to be free indeed. We don't just want to build a big crowd on Sunday mornings to hear a sermon. I'm going to tell y'all something. Y'all want a secret? Everybody with me? Say amen. I'm supposed to be done right now, but I'm going to go a little over, okay? I'm going to tell y'all something. You might be able to find better sermons online than mine. Thank you for laughing at me. That makes me feel really good. You might be able to get on Spotify or Spotify or whatever it is and find some good Christian music. You know what sets the church apart that you're in right now? This right here. Bearing each other's burdens, holding each other's arms up, confessing sin so that we can find healing. The prayer of a righteous person has power. This right here is what sets it apart. You'll never last in church if you don't do this. If you don't get connected, you're going to be gone in a month, three months, six months, and you'll be down the road to the next church. It's okay if you're down the road to the next church, but I just pray you get involved there. I pray you find freedom there. James is making clear, we pray. We pray. And please understand too, 
that you need people to pray for you, but you also need to be available to pray for other people. I'm going to close on this. I'm not even going to get to the end of the passage. Don't get so caught up in a consumeristic mindset that you think the church exists for you because if you've been bought by the blood of Christ, now you're a part of the army that also exists for others. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. So you need to be available for people to help them find healing. It doesn't say just so-and-so. No, it says confess your sins to each other because the prayer of a righteous person has healing, leads to heal, has power. Leads to some tough questions. Are you an approachable person? Are you someone that if another brother and sister shared something with you in confidence, they can trust you that you're not going to gossip about them? Are you the type of person that when someone shares a struggle with you, you're not going to belittle the sin or belittle the person or make them feel condemnation? You're not the judge, remember? Remember the book of James a few weeks ago? You ain't the judge. You're just supposed to pray for them. Have you ever even prayed for anyone to find healing? Here's your homework today before you leave. That's why we're going to stop here. Before you leave this mall, I want every single one of y'all to find somebody to pray for. No amens there. I got you. Okay. The introverts are like, oh my God, what? Pray for somebody. I just wanted to come and sit. I got you. That's good. If you're lost, you're off my, hey, I'm not telling you to do nothing. But if you're a believer, you've put your trust in Jesus. Before you leave this mall today, I want you to find somebody. Ask them how you can pray for them. Listen to them. Pray for them. Everybody with me? Say amen. Here's your homework. Let me just ask this question. How many of y'all in here today need prayer for something? Raise your hand if you need prayer for something. Raise your hand. Y'all see this? Look at somebody around you and say, I'm going to pray for you today. Do it, y'all. Come on. You see how abused this is? This is so awkward. And it's so weird because it's about prayer. And everybody's like, I've never done this in my life. Why? Find somebody else around you and say, I may pray for you. I don't know who it is yet. It may not be the one you looked at. I don't know. Just pray for somebody. Just pray for somebody. And listen to me. Hey, if I could give you some tips. I preached a sermon. It's one of the first sermon series we did when we started this church 10 years ago. And the sermon was called, the series was called Confessions of a Pastor. And the sermon was called, I Have an ADD Prayer Life. I used to think of myself as not a good prayer. Because, man, I see some people get on these platforms at churches and they pray the house down. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They sound like, like King Jimmy himself is on the stage. Thou, Father, thou art in heaven and real ornate prayers and stuff like that. But what I learned is when I study the New Testament, God just wants authenticity. He's looking for real prayers. And honestly, the shorter the better. So if you think, man, I... I just, I don't have the confidence because I don't know how to pray for people. And man, I'm just not a good prayer. It's probably the prayers God wants. The ones that you think aren't good. He just wants you to be real. So just pray for somebody. Everybody with me say amen? I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to pray for somebody that I know in this church. John, you told me I could pray for you, right, man? And I won't embarrass you. 
Uh, John has been a part of Revolution Church for how long? He knows exactly. January of 2016. They've uh, been baptized here at this church. And here recently, uh, he's had a couple of health issues. Man, they are, they are, Pat and John are like, like hardcore people in Revolution Church. Couldn't do it without him. And so I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to pray for healing. Is that cool with everybody? Everybody say amen. Is this awkward? Is this awkward? Okay. Because you can sense the tension when you preach on prayer. And then you say, now y'all go do this. And everybody's like, what? Pray for somebody. I'm going to pray for my brother here. Okay, John, if you want to, just uh, stretch your hand out. And when you do that, you're just identifying in that you are going to pray for him as well as I pray for him, okay? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what John and Pat mean to me personally and what a gift they are to this church. And God, I pray for his health. I pray, God, for healing. I pray that you do what only you can do. You give the doctors wisdom. God, you you lead them and guide them in medications and things that they're to give him. But God, ultimately, we pray for health. I pray for he and Pat that you give them strength. God, that you give them the ability to allow people that love them to minister to them and not think that they're putting anybody out and not think that they're bothering anybody but they recognize that we are a family and we get through things together. Help him to lead his home and help him to grow closer to you. You said you use all things for those that are called according to your purpose. God, I believe that this is going to be used to draw him closer to you. We love you, Lord. You are awesome and you are mighty. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. Okay. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.